Turn with me to John's Gospel. Chapter 6, let's read these first 15 verses once again this morning as we look at this portion of our text for today. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among, what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them them to uh, those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples... Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless it this morning. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come, to fellowship, to worship, to sing, to give, to pray, and to preach. We pray this morning that your word would go forth with power, that we would learn what you would have us to understand and know from this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you would receive glory from it, for you love your word, and it is that word which saves our souls and feeds us, so we pray that we would feast upon it this morning, and may it fill us. And satisfy us, as it did the people of old. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the last time we were in this passage, uh, last week, we made our way through the passage to verse 10. And Jesus posing to the disciples the dilemma of feeding a crowd of 20,000 people. 20,000 thousand people. The disciples had already wanted to Jesus to send these people away and to find food for themselves. They did not want to have to deal with this many people and they had no answers as to how they would be fed anyway. But Jesus saw the crowd as shepherdless sheep. And his heart of compassion went out to them. That reminds me of of asking myself the question, and you probably should answer it for yourself as well. How often do we look at people and simply wish they would just go away? Just leave us alone. Without thinking what are their needs, 
How can we help them? We simply sometimes just want to write them off as non-essential to us. It's a common feeling when we're focused on ourselves. Jesus was very seldom focused upon himself when it came to the needs of others. He wanted to meet their needs. Now, from the disciples' standpoint, it was an impossible task. I mean, this was just something that a fool's errand. There was no way that this could be done. The basic problem with both of the responses that came from the disciples is that they were looking at what they possessed rather than looking at Jesus' power and what he possessed to meet the needs of these people. They couldn't meet their needs, no more than you and I could. But Jesus could. What would have been a proper response to the problem? When Jesus asked Philip, how are we going to buy enough bread to feed these people? A question to the Lord would possibly be appropriate, far more appropriate. They could have, Philip could have simply said, Lord, I don't have enough money. There's not enough, there's no place we can get bread for these people. We can't do this, but you could. That would have been an appropriate response. That is not what took place. He had the ability that they lacked, but they did not recognize it. Isn't that the way it is today? Still a real problem. We run into things all the time that we can't meet. And the last thing on our mind generally is to think Jesus could meet this need. That's the last thing we think of many times because we operate in the flesh and not in faith. We don't, the problem is we don't really many times believe that Jesus can meet that need. We just don't believe it. We'd like to be all pious and say, oh, I believe it. I believe Jesus can meet any need. But when it comes right down to it, many times we don't. It's too big for us, too hard, too uh, massive. The world never thinks that Christ is enough. But the, the sad thing is many believers don't think he's enough either. Just a note on this. The need on this day was food. And even the devil believes that Jesus could meet the need for food because in Matthew chapter 4, if you'll recall, he said to the Lord, command these stones to become bread. If you're hungry, remember that? The devil knew that Jesus could do that. Now in verse 10, Jesus tells his disciples and instructs them to tell the people what to do. When it says in the other synoptics that he had the people sit down, it was through the disciples that he had the people to sit down. All of this is done through the help and with the help of his disciples. They are involved in tending to the needs of this crowd. This would teach them of his ability to meet the need, which they would need greatly in the days ahead. And even though their faith was weak and it failed miserably, their obedience was not weak. They did exactly as the Lord told them to do and had the people to sit down on the ground. And they started instructing the people what to do even though there were doubts In their minds, they still were obedient. And it's a good lesson for us. Because there are many times in Scripture where you see Jesus dealing with people. And they're doubting what he's saying. But they say, (coughs) nonetheless, at your word. Remember Peter? (laughs) 
I doubt that we're going to catch any fish. Fished all night, haven't caught anything. I'm the fisherman here, by the way, Lord. But nevertheless, if you say so, I'll let it down where you sit. And what happens? The nets start to break for so many fish that were created to swim into it. Hmm. So it says that Jesus directed them to sit down on the grass. Literally, it means that word sit down means to fall back or lie down. The custom of the day was not to sit and eat like we do at a table or in a chair. Uh, they reclined to eat their dinner or their meals. They would, they would lay themselves out, prop up on one uh, elbow, and, and they would eat their food lying flat. That was the Roman custom as well. That was the way the Jews did too. So my question is, I mean it was when I when I read this, was how much area would it take to have 20,000 people lie down on the ground to be fed? What what area would it take? Could could you get 20,000 people on a football field lying down in groups of 100s and 50s? I don't think you could. I think it would take several football fields. Think of the vastness of this. We think of this as, oh, well, he just fed 5,000 people. No. This was, this was enormous. This was something that we would say, oh, I, I don't even know where to start. But he had 12 helpers. It's a mammoth undertaking. Could it be, have been done any other way? Well, I think it could have. Suppose Jesus would have said to the group, tell, tell his, and told his disciples, tell the people to look around them and find a rock. They all look around. There were plenty of rocks in the Holy Land fields. Tell them all to pick up a couple of rocks and I'll turn them into bread. Tell him to grab a hand, a fistful of grass and I'll turn it into fish. He could have done that. But that would have robbed the disciples of the blessing of serving people and watching their needs be met. So he had them lie down in groups of hundreds and fifties, which Mark 6 verse 39 and 40 tells us. But notice the contrast between the disciples' attitude and that of the boy with the little lunch. The disciples did not think that this could be done. But here's a little boy who is very willing to give his lunch to Jesus and share it as far as it would go. I'm sure this little boy had no idea that that little lunch of his would go so far. Maybe we'll see him in heaven someday and we'll be able to ask him, what would it feel like to give your lunch to Jesus and watch him multiply it for 20,000 people? This boy was obviously eager to share what he had. And eagerness to share is a trait that all Christians should have. This is the way that the first church operated In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47, it says this, And all who believed were together and had all things common. What a different outlook that is compared to to our culture and society. Everybody in our society is out to get what they can get, and you better not touch what's mine. Because it's mine, it belongs to me. But that is not the way the early Christians felt. There were needs, tremendous needs. 
There were poor people in this first church that didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And when the church was organized and became, they became in, they came into fellowship through Christ. They, they began to think, well, this, I've got this and he hasn't got that, so I'll share. Sharing is a trait that Christians ought to develop. So they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, they were, they were giving and receiving, giving and receiving. I've got this, come to my house and eat, or here, take this and, and feed yourself today if you have nothing. Sharing. How many times have you ever said or heard someone say, Oh, if I just had this, I would do that. If I just had, if I just had a million dollars, just think what I would do. You ever wonder why the Lord hasn't given you a million dollars? Because you probably wouldn't do what you said you would do. Jesus never asks for that which we don't have. He only asks for that which we do have. And there's, there's no amount put on it. You could have millions or you could have little. But here's the, here's the good part of this. Is that just a little bit in Jesus' hands can go a long way. Just a little bit. Oh, there's so many stories I could tell you uh, with regard to this. But I, I heard a story of a preacher once who had a farmer in his church, and he went to the farmer and he said to the farmer, if you had, if you had two farms, would you give one of them to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, oh, yeah, would that I had two farms. Uh, certainly, I would give one of them to the Lord's work. The preacher said, if you had $20,000, would you give $10,000 to the Lord's work? The farmer said, if I had that kind of money, uh, yeah, sure, I, I would give $10,000 if I had 20000 And the preacher said, if you had two pigs, would you give one of those pigs to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, wait a minute, that's not fair. You know I've got two pigs. Isn't that the way we feel a lot of time? Jesus took this lad's lunch, these two, two little fish. Now, this would have probably been small fish uh, and or parts of fish and five little barley loaves. We, they're not, they weren't big loaves of bread. They were probably more like biscuits, what we would call a biscuit. Maybe his mother had packed a lunch for him or for maybe for the whole family. And so he gives this lunch to Jesus and Jesus gives it to his disciples to distribute after he had blessed it. In fact, the blessing is mentioned twice in this chapter. It would be neglectful not to mention the Lord's example of thankfulness before eating this food. Which is why we say blessings before we eat. We are thanking the Lord for the provision of food. And when we don't do that, and I'll be the first to admit that there are times when I start to eat because I'm hungry and I forget where it came from. Sometimes, in fact, we'll pray over our food at home and, and then we'll, we'll go to eat and we'll ask one, did we, did we pray over this? We can't remember whether we prayed over it or not. Maybe that's not happening to you yet. <laughs> but it will. It will. <laughs> it will. 
Jesus is the model that we follow. In thanking the Lord for his provision for, of food. And the Jews had different prayers for different foods. A prayer, One prayer for bread, another prayer for fruit, uh, a different prayer for uh, wine. And th- there were just lots of different prayers. The prayer for bread was this. Blessed are you, God, O King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now, I don't know if Jesus prayed that specific prayer or not, or whether he just simply lifted his eyes and said, Father, thank you for this food that we are about to receive. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out prayers over food, just thanking the Lord and, and understanding that it comes, comes from him. The Greek term used here is the word Eucharisteo in the Greek. It, it's where we get our word Eucharist. It means, it means thankful or grateful for something. When we give a Eucharist, we're expressing our gratitude over something. So being, this also, this word also has attached to it the idea of an obligation of thankfulness for the favor that is given. Something that is granted to us that is good, especially when that thing is undeserved. None of us, none of us deserve to eat another mouthful of food. You realize that, don't you? We don't deserve to eat. We don't deserve to breathe the air. There's nothing that we deserve. It's all given to us by grace, by favor that we did not merit It's meant to acknowledge God's gracious benefits to his people. These people didn't deserve to be fed by the king of kings any more than we deserve it. But Jesus felt their need and had compassion on them. He knew they were hungry. He knew that their their strength would fail if they didn't get something to eat. And so he used this opportunity to give them food and to teach his disciples It is a beautiful picture of the reality of the world. A world that we see that is perishing. A world that has powerless disciples. But a world that has a perfect Savior who can meet every need. If Jesus is the one with the ability, then he could have fed them in all kinds of different ways, but he didn't. He gave it to his disciples and he illustrated to his disciples what faith can look like. Them doing the task, but believing that the Lord can provide the means. There may have been others in the crowd who were truly believers. And they would have certainly appreciated what they saw in this miracle. But there were, there were many, if not most in this crowd, that did not believe the Lord as Savior and Messiah. But they were only there because of the things they had seen. And they wanted another buzz. They wanted another flash-in-the-pan experience. If Jesus had turned stones into bread that day, it would not have illustrated to the disciples and the others in the crowd the manner in which the Lord intends to do His work. How does God do His work in His kingdom on earth today? He does it by the faithful service of His people. That's how He does it. My mama used to tell me, son, money does not grow on trees. And I think I grew up a little bit wondering if there was a tree that had money on it and where could it be found? Because I used to say, I remember saying to her one time, wow, I wish we had one of those trees. We could just go and pluck some money off of it and. But 
But our Lord is the one who supplies. He is the one who sends. And he is the one who blesses the work of his people for his kingdom and through his church. Please remember that God uses the resources of his people. He does not, he does not care about the resources of the world. He does not need the resources of the world. In fact, he doesn't need anything. But he does desire and he does use his people to accomplish his kingdom's work. He provides, get this carefully now, he provides to us so that we can give back to him in service. Let me say that one more time. He gives to us so that we can give back to him in service to others. Now, the next thing that happens in this, in this drama is truly remarkable. Because what we have here is an act of creation that happens right before the eyes of the disciples and these people. So, it was certainly a greater miracle than that of turning water into wine. For that was more of a private situation with only a few guests had been invited to a wedding. And even then, most of the people didn't recognize that the miracle had taken place. But his disciples knew that it had. And they believed in him, it says. But here you have a whole crowd of people, 20,000 of them plus, that are actually seeing this miracle take place. Now think about it. The basket comes to your section. You're, you're lying there on the ground. It's laid down or placed down to, before you or held before you. You reach in to take some bread and some fish and it goes right down the line. But by the time you get to the end of the line, the basket is still just as full as it was when they started. And everybody's going, wow, how's this taking place? Look, it, it doesn't empty. It just keeps on multiplying. Now, whether Jesus took the bread and broke it every time and gave it to his disciples and it multiplied like that, or whether he broke it and filled baskets with it and then it just kept on multiplying, the point is, is that there was an act of creation that was multiplying bread and fish on this day for these people. It just kept on being replenished, didn't go down. Another thing I want you to notice is that Jesus did not rebuke his disciples for their lack of faith. How are we going to feed all these people? Well, uh, there's not enough money to buy bread. There's no place to get it. Um, uh, Here's a guy with some lunch, but that's not enough. Uh, He didn't say, "Uh, you, you faithless lumps. What, you, you don't, you don't believe me at all. He didn't do that. In fact, he never rebuked them. He never said, why can't you believe? He never did any of that. He just simply attacked the problem. He simply met the need. He took the bread and the fish, broke it, filling basket after basket of food for everyone. This was distributed to the disciples. They distributed it and passed it out to the people. This was a lesson that they needed to learn for days ahead were coming in which they would need to meet people's needs as well. And how were they going to meet the need of an early church that was probably as large as this crowd? How were they going to meet those needs? They would have to look to Jesus to do it. If Jesus had created meals for everyone on that day without using his disciples, it would have robbed them of the blessing of feeding the hungry crowd. Plus, God always, always, always does his work through weak vessels. People who are not capable. People who are weak. People who have little. 
It's those people God uses. Paul writes of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Your weakness, Paul. You are a weak individual, and I'm going to do great work through you so that when the work is done, you won't receive the glory for it, but I will. Therefore, Paul says, I gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. Whether it's weakness or insult or hardships or persecution or calamities, he said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's not me that's strong, it's Christ that's strong. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why we're jars of clay. That's why God uses the weak and those that seemingly don't have anything to offer. They became waiters for the people. They became servants serving the people for Jesus' sake. And there is no greater position to have than that. If you're serving people for Christ's sake, you have reached the top. For Jesus said those that serve are the ones that will be exalted later. The ones that make themselves low. So the people ate and they were all filled with as much food as they wanted. Our Lord is not stingy in the distribution of food. He has, and I I relate this to to a a sort of a spiritual application because I want you to think about this for a second. When you sit down to a meal and you're hungry, you can eat and you can be filled and you can be satisfied. But what happens to that? It goes away. You use it up. And now you get hungry again. you got to eat all over again. And this is what we spend most of our life doing. Besides sleeping, we're, we're working so that we can eat. So we're eating over and over and over again. So when, if you apply that spiritually, when we come to the scriptures... And we're taught the scriptures, we're actually feeding. We're feeding on the scriptures. We're feeding on the truth of it. And we may think, well, we could do that, you know, we can do that once a week, get by. Well, okay, just try eating one meal this next week and don't eat anything else the rest of the week. You won't make it probably. See, we have to do it over and over again. And that's the lesson is that uh, Jesus only fed these people for one meal that day, for one day, just one day. Now, if they had been at home as we do in our home, we prepare meals and uh, my wife says, well, let's let's prepare this. Uh, We're going to have this for this day and tomorrow as well. And there's nothing wrong, it's my estimation, with leftovers because I actually think leftovers taste better the second day generally than they do the first day you fix it. However, regardless of that, this was one meal for one day. Good health requires a steady diet of food, of good food. You cannot get by spiritually on just one time a week. That's why you take the doggy bags of food and truth with you. That's why I give you the notes so that you can take them and go over them again through the week. Look up the passages that are there and have yourself fed again. Or maybe you're doing that on your own and if you are, Bless you for it. These people sat down, they ate, and they were satisfied with the food that they had. 
but it only lasted a short time. As we say in the South, they were fat and sassy. I can remember hearing that. Well, I finish eating, I'm fat and sassy. Now we see the extreme provision that God has given to his servants as they do, uh, as they have distributed the food. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus commands the disciples to go through the crowd and gather up the leftovers that were left from the feeding of the people. And so they gathered up all the fragments, took the baskets through, And they gathered up 12 baskets full of bread and fish. One basket for each disciple. Jesus' provision was more than enough to feed the crowd. It overflowed onto the disciples as well. What a lesson for them in God's gracious provision. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. According to the power that is at work within us. Someone has written. Jesus loves to take questions and turn them into exclamations. Lord how are we going to do this? And then he exclaims to us how he's going to do it. Or shows us how he's going to do it. The disciples would be able to eat from those fragments. For the next day or maybe two. That just normally did not happen in that day, in that culture. Food was gathered for that day. Women went to the market on the day to prepare the, get food and prepare it. Water was gathered for one day. And every day it was the same. Got to find it again. But now they've got a basket full of food that will last a day or maybe two to eat from. And every time they dip their hand into their basket to get food, which I'm sure that they probably shared with others. I can't imagine them not sharing it with some people. Whom, to whom they met. Every time they would dip into it and eat from it, they would remember that this food came from the Lord Himself miraculously to them. Another thought here is that is that of wastefulness. I hate to admit it, but we are wasteful people. Every single one of us here, we're wasteful people. Now, if you're not and you eat every scrap of that which you prepare, you're different than most because we don't do that. But wastefulness does not please God. That is careless wastefulness. Proverbs 25, verse 16, If you have found honey... Eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill and fill of it and you vomit it. Too much can be sickening. There's nothing wrong with saving food for leftovers. Spurgeon said, come then, weary, hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but to take Christ. Open your mouth and receive the food. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that is needed. Daniel Aiken writes, where we see a lack of, a lack, he sees abundance. Where we see human problems, he sees accomplished, accomplishes divine possibilities. A little can become a lot with Jesus. There's a truth here I think that needs to be understood and accepted that comes out of this miracle of the feeding, what we call the feeding of the 5,000. And that is that Jesus doesn't, he does 
indeed want to and desire to provide for the needs of people. We see that clearly in this miracle. He saw them coming and he thought to himself, these people are going to be hungry. In fact, it says when he saw them coming, he healed their sick. And then he knew that they were going to be hungry. Jesus has promised that he would meet our needs. The apostle writes, My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said, I'll supply your need. I will meet your need. The problem with us is that we have a hard time distinguishing needs from wants. The scripture says, with food and clothing, be content. It could come a day when that's all we have. It's just food and clothing and shelter of some kind. It could be a day coming for that. Who knows? Did the people of Ukraine think that they that would be all that they would have? However, there are those who take this Jesus meeting needs and press it too far. Does Jesus always resolve every impossibility with a happy ending in our lives now? No, he does not. Especially from our perspective. He does want to nourish us, but he never wants to be reduced to a genie who will magically supply our every want. He gave the people bread and fish for just one day. But he refused to let the people make him their breadwinner king. Which is what they wanted. Oh, we'll make Jesus king and he'll bring in the kingdom and we won't ever have to work for anything. We'll we'll be fed like this all the time. That was their thinking. Notice the aftermath in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. What are they talking about? They're... They're remembering the prophecy of Moses from Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 that Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you will listen. This is the prophet, they were saying. This is the one that Moses spoke of. Why did they think of it like that? Because Moses was the one who gave the people bread in the wilderness. See, they're thinking about physical bread. That was their, what enacted their thinking along this line. But that wasn't the purpose for the miracle. It wasn't, the purpose of the miracle wasn't so that people could feed themselves physically because they were hungry. The true purpose was to show them the true bread that came down from heaven. The bread that if they would eat, would satisfy their souls forever. But it was not to be. It was not to be for three reasons. First, it was not to be because it was not yet time. It was not yet time for Jesus to be Made king? Not yet. Jesus did not come the first time to establish his kingdom, as in take take the throne. But rather he came to give himself as a sacrifice for his people. Second, it was not to be because if they thought that he was, quote unquote, the prophet prophesied by Moses and the Messiah, it would only have been an earthly or political, in a political sense, like that of the Jewish leaders. This is what the Jewish leaders were looking for. They were looking for a political Messiah. And the people were taught that. 
that Messiah would come and he would stomp, stamp out Rome and free the people and God's people, Israel, would be the people of the earth, the ones that were the highest. They did not think of him as one who would come and deliver them from their sin. Third, it was not to be because many, if not most of these people, at the miracle that day would not follow Jesus by the end of this chapter. Jesus, in the following verses, is going to say some very difficult things. Things hard to hear. Things that cut across the grain of human pride. And when he said those things, they turned away. We can understand people in the world turning away from the message of the gospel because the message of the gospel is hard. We can understand that. What's more difficult is when it happens to those who claim to be believers. Who when hard truths from scripture are stated, people who claim to be believers turn away. Don't want to hear it. Don't even want to, don't even want to look to see if it might be true or not. Just, I'm out of here. I've seen it happen so many times over the years. I'm sure there were many in this crowd who would have said that they were followers of Christ only to watch them turn away when the demands got really serious. In fact, in verse 60 of this chapter, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They turned back. They defected. They were only disciples in word only. I'm going to end with this quote by John MacArthur. And I read this and I couldn't, I couldn't rephrase it any better than he states it. So I'm just going to give... What he quotes. Jesus does not acquiesce to whims or fancies. He comes to no man on that man's terms. People cannot manipulate him for their own selfish ends. Some modern evangelists in an attempt to be seeker friendly present Jesus to believers as a quick fix to felt needs like health, wealth, and self-esteem, superficially marketing him as a providing everything unbelievers want. But that turns the gospel message upside down. People do not come to Christ on their terms so that he can heal their broken relationships, make them successful in life, and help them feel good about themselves. Instead, they must come to him on his terms. Jesus graciously loves believers and grants them a rich legacy of joy, peace, and comfort. But at the same time, he calls sinners to mourn over their sin, to repent, and acknowledge him as the sovereign Lord to whom they owe complete obedience. Even today, he continues to withdraw from those who seek him For their own self-serving ends. Just as he did from the crowd that sought to make him king on their own terms. And as becomes clear later in this chapter 6. He drives others away with the hard demands of the gospel. How can you tell if people are truly Christians? You can tell by their perseverance in believing and following Christ and His Word no matter what comes to them in life.
whether it's tragedy or hardship or loss or anything else. They are the Lord's. They belong to Him. And they understand that all they have comes from Him. And through the pain and sorrow and suffering of calamity, they trust in Jesus. They don't defect. Secondly, you can, you can tell by their desire to love and obey Him, along with a life of repentance of sin and a hunger for holy living. They desire holy living. They have a hunger for what Christ has. And I think I would add to this that they don't just walk away from the hard things of the gospel or from the hard things of the word of God. They persevere. They study. They find the true answers. And they continue on with Christ. This, these things can't be done naturally from our own power. They are only done through the work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and works in our lives. It's the only way it can happen. It is not manufactured by human means. What we have coming in chapter 6, beginning at verse 22, are going to be some of those hard things. So you stay in there. People who have these kinds of questions, I say, well, you know, you should go to John chapter 6. You should go to John chapter 10. You should go to John chapter 17. You should go to Ephesians chapter 1. Because usually it revolves around whether or not man is in charge or whether God is in charge. That's where it usually revolves around. But I say to you, let's let God be God and us be people. God is the uncreated one. We are the created ones. God is the one who knows all and we don't. But He has given us what He wants us to know and it's right here. And we're going we're to dissect this chapter. So I pray that God will use it to teach us and to strengthen our faith in Him because the world is changing every day drastically more and more. And Christians are going to be made to look like the problem more and more. All right. God bless you for being here today. Let me make just an announcement or two and then we'll go. Um,